Welcome to the Life Community Church Podcast. We are so excited and thankful you've decided to join us. We have a very special message for you today that we pray blesses you. Wow. Okay. How you doing? Happy Father's Day. Also, we have for all the fathers here today, we have a special gift for you as you leave. We have popcorn little popcorn gift bags for you. Uh, we had popsicles before. And out of pops. So I uh, guess we'll have pop tarts <laughs> next year. <clears throat> or something like that. So I'm so thank you. Those were such really sweet and kind words. Uh, I appreciate it so much. I love those kids. And I love you. Uh, so, happy Father's Day to all of you that are still, especially those of you that are still in the fray with kids at home. Uh, if, you, if you're one of those that you still have kids at the house, <clears throat> maybe even kids that you wish weren't there anymore, but they still are. Uh, <clears throat> so I want you to stand, and I want to pray for you today. If you would, please, stand where you are, and we're going to pray for you. Those of you that are fathers with kids at home, not, that doesn't mean you're not fathers. Some of you are fathers, but, but I think some of, you, some of you that are in the, middle of the, in the middle of the battle may need a little more prayer because it's, uh, it's, it's hard. Parenting is it's hard. Being a father is... So just join with me together as we pray for our fathers. Lord, we pray right now in Jesus' name for, for these men, these fathers. Lord, I pray that you would give them strength for the battle, the everyday battle of parenting. I pray, Lord, that you would give them wisdom with the challenges and decisions that they have to make surrounding those children with their, their gifts and their talents and their abilities and their special needs, everything that <laughs> makes that child their child, Lord, I pray that you would give them wisdom beyond their ability. I pray, Lord, for the fruit of the Spirit, that we would, by your Spirit, be more patient and more kind and more loving and more full of grace and more peaceful, that all of the fruit of the Spirit would be manifest in our dealing with our children, and Lord, we know that that requires your spirit. We cannot do it on our own. And Lord, I pray that even beyond that, we as fathers, we would understand how loved we are, that we would understand what Jesus did for us and why the Father sent his Son so that we could cry out, Abba, Father, so that there would be such a well of love within us that we would have love to give we would never feel like the well is dry. We would feel like there is a depth of the grace and love and mercy of God that is overflowing in us that would hopefully flow into our children. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you for standing. May the Lord give you strength for the daily battle. Right? You're often not more reminded of it than just getting them to church on Sunday morning can sometimes be 
the, the battle with the forces of darkness, it seems like. Uh, because families uh, are different. And generally, in a family, uh, one of you is on time, and the other one has a different concept of time. Some of you are Hispanic. I think Hispanics have a whole different concept of time. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, they say, you know. But Tina, when we married, Tina's, Tina's uh, view of being on time was to leave the house at the time the event was supposed to start. She's not here to defend herself. Oh, there she is. I'm sorry. But we've, uh, we work on that. And we often, still today, on, after you know, 47 years of marriage, uh, we still will. I, I came in a separate car again today because uh, she wasn't ready yet. So uh, you just, you know, sometimes you just rush. It's not worth the battle. Just, you know, you know drive the car. Go to go. To, but you'll find that, uh, how many of you married somebody opposite to you? They're different than you. And you'll find that in dating, opposites attract, but in marriage, opposites attack. <laughs> so the person that you were dating, when you were dating them, they were laid back and easygoing, but when you're married, them, married to them, they're a lazy bum. <laughs> or uh, maybe he or she was really organized and driven and later, maybe you would say they're a control freak. <laughs> so those of you that are married to control freak are trying to sit real still and not, not give anything away. He's so funny. Right? Uh, in marriage, he's driving me crazy with his stupid jokes. Uh, in your marriage, maybe one of you is a saver. <laughs> and the other is a spender, right? And uh, <laughs> maybe one of you an extrovert. You never meet a stranger, and the other person would just rather not talk to anybody, if at all possible. But the extrovert is always dragging them into uh, conversations and relationships. So one's an extrovert, one's an introvert. And not only that, uh, if you're married, uh, men and women are different. Have you noticed? Some really good physical differences that we really like. Uh, but there's other things. Uh, men and women are different in how their brains work. Uh, generally speaking, women's brains, uh, women, we call, we say women are more intuitive because both the left and right side, the left and right hemisphere of their brain is better connected. But with men, testosterone messes that up. <laughs> Literally, testosterone changes your brain. And so it makes your brain where the left and right hemisphere is not as well connected in the, in the corpus callosum so that, so that women pick up things intuitively. It's not like they're psychic, but you know, it's not any kind of weird thing, but they, they see things men don't see like underwear on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> those are invisible to men. Uh, but for some reason, women can see those because they have both sides of their brain. Half of a brain, can't see underwear. Whole brain, you can. 
And so, uh, <laughs> I don't know why I said that. But anyway, uh, <laughs> different, so, you, so men and women are different, and, and, and we have different styles. Even, even among men and women, there's such a spectrum of personalities and personality styles, personality types, and we bring that together, and sometimes it's a challenge. Uh, maybe you came from different families, and maybe your family was a screamer. Uh, they screamed when they argued, and another family, they'd be so offended. Uh, one of my first employees one day said to me, shut up. And she said it jokingly, but we never said that in my family. And so I didn't fire her, so she ended up being my secretary for about 15, 20 years. Uh, Kelly, Allie said that. And I was like, What? You told me to shut up. <laughs> and she was like, in my family, we like told you to shut up all the time. But that happens in, in, in marriage. We, we're bringing these families here, these people together. And so we've got these different styles. And Satan wants to use our differences to divide us. But God wants to use our differences to strengthen us. Because if we're different... You'll notice there's things that men see that women don't see, and there's things that women see that men don't see, and if we come together, we, all, we see things we wouldn't have seen by ourselves. And so today we're going to talk about these. We've talked about number one, vow number one, promise. I promise that God will be my first priority, and my spouse will be my second. We talked about that three weeks ago. So we talked about how important it is to put God first in your life. You're a better spouse if you put God first in your life. If you put your spouse first, you're asking them to be, in a way, God. And you're asking them to do and give to you things that is beyond their ability to do. You're asking for too much. And so we're going to put God in the first place where it belongs and our, and our spouse in the second place. And then the second, last thing we talked about, I promise to always pursue my two. We talked about how to keep the love alive. You keep the love alive in the relationship by continuing to pursue each other and, and go after each other, do the work of relationship. Relationships, do you know this? Relationships require work. So you have to do the same things you did in the beginning to keep the relationship alive and thriving, and you have to be willing to do that. Today we're going to talk about, I promise our marriage will be about we and not about me. Now, before we start, I want to say this because, because a lot of you in here are divorced, and I want to be sensitive to that because, you know, this is not meant to condemn or shame. I don't, we don't want to condemn anyone that's messed up in marriage in the past. As a matter of fact, in, in the body of Christ, we've all fallen and failed and sinned. And we're so, anybody here thankful for the grace of the Lord that forgives us and picks us up and doesn't hold us in our failure, doesn't hold us in the past. So if you're divorced, I'm, we don't, I'm not here to condemn you in this. But, but, right? Uh, you can't change your past, but you can change your future. So the goal is we want to have good marriages. We want to have marriages that succeed. So in Matthew chapter 19, they're asking Jesus about marriage. And Jesus 
answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So there are no longer two but one flesh. What God therefore has joined together, let no man separate. Now, one of the things that we get from the whole concept of biblical marriage is marriage is a covenant, not a contract. Some would say that marriage is just a piece of paper. And I've heard people tell me that. It's, you know, it's something that you go to and you get a judge. You go before the justice of the peace and they'll do a little ceremony, a civil ceremony. They don't invoke God or they just talk about, you know, you're married. And, and then they give you a marriage license and then they file it and you're married. And so that kind of marriage is, is based on a contract. You do this for me, I'll do this for me. You love me, I'll love you, and we'll be happy ever after. But the, the nature of a contract is that a contract is based on mutual distrust. I don't trust you, so I, this con- I need this contract to make sure that you do the right thing, and you need this contract to make sure I do the right thing. It's protect me from your wrongdoing and protect you from my wrongdoing. I'm only in as far as you're in. I, so think about it. If you go rent a house, uh, the owner of that house is going to want a rental contract. In that contract, there's a couple of provisions. One, they're going to say, listen, if you don't pay, you don't get to stay. Right? I mean, they, they're, okay, it's, it's $1,500 a month. It's $2,000 a month. If you... You know, if you pay the $2,000 a month, you can stay in the house. You quit paying the $2,000 a month, we're going to come and kick you out of the house. That's a contract. There's also requirements of the landlord that, the, that are written out, spelled out in the contract, that if something breaks, there's some, somebody is determined who's supposed to fix it. That's why you need to read the fine prints of a contract. Because they may put in there, if the AC breaks, it's your responsibility. Or they may put it there, if the AC breaks, it's our responsibility. But if your dog chews off the door facing, that's probably your responsibility, right? So the contract spells that out. The contract is to keep people to do the right thing. It's an agreement. So we have to have a contract to make people do the right thing. Marriage is not a contract. Marriage is a covenant. Today, we have a lot of people that are doing married things before they're married, We like each other. You know, I like you. I think I love you. Isn't that a monkey song? I don't know. So we say, let's save some money. Some, a lot of you don't know who the monkeys are. Uh, <laughs> so we save the money and we decide we're going to move in together. And so we buy, together we buy, we rent an apartment because two can live as cheaply as one. Did you know that? Two can live as cheaply as one for half as long. <laughs> uh, so we, we love each other. So, you know, we've got our, our toothbrushes are next to each other. Uh, so we decide to buy a sofa, a sofa, a sofa table, a sofa. And that's a, that's a combination. If you want to get a combination coffee table sofa, that's a sofa. Uh, we get a sofa and a coffee table. And uh, we're living together and we're doing married things. You know, married things. 
things you do when you're married. And then life happens. And, you know, something happens. Maybe one's caught cheating or something. Or you just decide you don't like them anymore, and it's the end of the contract. There's a big fight, and so somebody gets the sofa, somebody gets the coffee table, and you split up. Because it wasn't a covenant, it was a contract. If you meet my needs, I'll meet your needs. If you meet, if I meet your needs, you meet my needs. And what happens, what's happening today is that you do that with maybe one person or two people or five people or ten people. Uh, and what are you doing? Well, you're pretending to be married and you're practicing divorce. So when, this is why so many marriages fail at the first sign of trouble. Because when trouble comes, they think it's a contract. And it's not a covenant. And they don't know that it's going to take something different. You see, a covenant is not based on, if you do this, I'll do this. A covenant is based on mutual commitment before God. The covenant is a word for testament. So we have the new covenant, the new testament, this new covenant. The covenant, the Hebrew word is bereth. And in all the Old Testament covenants, it was always sealed with blood. Just as the new covenant, your salvation, which is very important to all of us, our salvation was purchased with the blood of Christ. He said, this is the blood of my covenant. In the Hebrew mentality, the marriage Ceremony actually begins when the male is eight days old. And when the male is eight days old, he is circumcised. And there's blood. And that's the symbol that he has entered into God's covenant. He is, in the Hebrew mentality, he is a child of God. He is a son of God. Then, at the time of the wedding, the expectation of the Hebrew marriage ceremony is that a virgin Hebrew man and a virgin Hebrew woman come together. And at the first time they come together, they're shedding of blood to seal that covenant. <laughs> so, the Bible sees marriage differently. The word covenant, <laughs> this group's laughing and they're messing me up. And I, so I'm thinking, I, I know that Stephanie has often threatened to cut Joe, but it's not the, that's not what we're talking about. Uh, so, when you, so in a wedding ceremony, you say things like this, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. In sickness and in health, I promise 
to be faithful to you above all others as long as we both shall live, so help me God. Now those are covenant words. They're words that we make, and they're not for the wedding day. I mean, you think about wedding days, and we were, we were just at, at uh, Hunter's wedding and Allison's wedding a couple of weeks ago. It was beautiful. She was a beautiful bride, handsome groom. It was incredible. Uh, you know, weddings are fun. You know, there's, you know, a lot of people like them because there's free booze. Uh, there's flowers. It's decorated. It's pretty. There's food. There's dancing. There's music. There's celebrating. I mean, those are, it's a wonderful day. The vow that you make on the wedding day is not generally for that day because that's a good day. That's not a worse day. That's a better day. That, that, that's not a sickness day. That's a health day. That's, a, that's when things are going okay. So we make those promises before God uh, on, a, on a day when it's difficult, when it's not difficult, but those words are for difficult days. You see, marriage is not about mutual commitment. We're not giving 50-50. We're each giving 100%. Marriage is not dividing everything in half. It's giving everything I've got. So marriage is a covenant. That it's a promise. It's a commitment that I'm making, and I'm making it before God, knowing that this is not for today. This is for when it's hard. This is for on the day that I want to quit. This is on the day when I don't even like you, much less love you. And every marriage has those days. And so it is the new covenant, it is the covenant relationship that helps us make it through difficult days. Godly partnership is summarized with these verses. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The Bible calls for a husband and wife to submit to each other. Now, some people are more naturally dominant, and some are more naturally passive. Raise your hand if you're more naturally dominant. Now, see, now, here's the, here's the thing. If we're honest, in my house, it's both of us. Because she's domineering and controlling. <laughs> So am I. So it works. <laughs> so um, some of us are just naturally, we want to take charge, we want to be in control. So some of us are naturally domineering. Some of us are naturally passive. Some of us are better at some things, and some of the things are better at others. There's things that I'm good at. I'm a good big pictures person. So I need people around me, my wife is great at this, staff members are good at this, to help me with details. I'm good at saying, okay, this, you know, let's take this mountain. How are we going to do it? I don't know. Figure it out. Let's just go do it. We can do it. I'm, I'm, I'm good at big things, not with details. Tina has incredible discernment about people. 
She has, she has helped me. When, and there have been times I didn't listen to her. And it has cost me dearly. She has incredible insight about people. And she loves people. She's, she's a great pastor's wife. And I've said this. I hope you realize that. She's a much better pastor than I am. It's, I'm great at delegating. I give her that job. She loves people. I love people too. Sometimes. <laughs> right? So, this relationship, God's calling us to mutually respect and submit to each other. That we, we each are working together. We're submitting. To, now, this is radical. When, when Paul wrote this to the Ephesians, this was radical. Women have the same authority in the relationship as the man. The, the man is going to submit to a woman? Are you kidding me? The Hebrews couldn't believe it. The Romans couldn't believe it. There was nobody that could believe that Paul is writing that in a Christian home, the relationship is built on mutual love and respect. But it doesn't mean we have the same roles. Because then we follow verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. I know some of you have that on your refrigerators as your life verse. For the husband is the head of the wife, is the head of the church, the body for which he's the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. I know some of you have that underlined in your Bibles, and you want to like show your wife. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and present to her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So how does this mutual submission work out in real life? Well, first of all, I want you to notice this, that Paul qualifies these statements. He says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands. It's like, he's kind of like saying, listen, you do your business. You do what you're supposed to do before you worry about your, what your spouse is supposed to do. Make sure you're doing what God's called you to do before you're worried about what your spouse is asked to do. But you think about this. So it says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Wow, how do we do that? How does that work? Well, first of all, your husband's not the Lord. He's flawed and imperfect. So how do you submit to him as to the Lord? Well, let me ask you this. Submission in the, in the Bible is not domineering. It's not manipulative. It's not coercive. It's totally voluntary. Submission is always, in the Bible, totally voluntary. How many of you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you submitted your life to him? What has he ever done to bully you? Is the Lord bullying you today? Has he ever, do you ever get cussed out by the Lord? Does he ever make demands from you? He leads us. 
He teaches us through his word. He shows us through his word, but he never makes demands of you. Did he show up at the foot of your bed this morning? Are you here today because Jesus showed up at the foot of your bed this morning and pulled the covers back and said, get out of the bed, you lazy Christian, and get to church? Some of you are watching from bed right now because he didn't do that. (laughs) But he's not, Jesus is never coercive. He's never domineering. It's always loving and sacrificial. He's leading from sacrifice. He's leading because he laid down his life. It's not authority for authority's sake. It's authority to fulfill a responsibility. You see, in the Bible, when it talks about man is the head, he's saying, okay, guys, you get the responsibility. You have, (laughs) you have, it's, it's all waiting on you. Men, you're called to lead. Being called to lead doesn't mean you get to make all the decisions. When Tina and I got married, we decided that I would make all the big decisions, she would make all the little decisions. I'm married 47 years, so far no big decisions. Uh, I'm thinking there may be some coming. I'm getting ready. Uh, see, if you made all the decisions, that's a dictatorship. That's not leadership. Leadership is by tone, by direction. Men set the tone of the family. If, if a family's gonna be in church and serve God, it's gonna be the man that's gonna, that needs to say, hey, hey, everybody, get up. We're going to church today. Yeah, we're tired. Yeah, yesterday was a tough day. We had soccer games all day yesterday. We had stuff all day yesterday. We had football games all yesterday. We had volleyball games all day yesterday. Whatever the all day yesterday was, there's always an all day yesterday when you have kids. The kids, all of that's important. We love that. We want you to be involved in that. But this is more important. We want you in church as many Sundays as possible. And so you just establish that. You establish that priority. You have to, you have to lead first. Your marriage is going to have difficult days. And so you need to both decide what kind of marriage you're going to have. You say, wives, submit to your husbands. Submit to your husbands as you submit to Christ. And then husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. You see, if you'll love your wife the way Christ loved the church, it will be easy for your wife to submit to you. If you'll do the stuff that God's called you to do, then it'll be easy for her to do the stuff God's called her to do. But if you're worried about her doing her stuff and you're not worried about you doing your stuff and you try to get her to do her stuff, but you're not doing, if you do your stuff, then I'll do my stuff, you've moved out of covenant back into contract. The covenant says... I made this promise before God. I made this promise to you. And with God's strength and God's ability, I'm going to do it. I made a promise before God. I made a promise before you. And I'm going to fulfill the covenant for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, sickness, sin, and health. Now, there's going to, let me tell you, there's going to be times that you don't feel it. You don't feel like being nice. You don't feel like being forgiving. You don't feel like laying down your life. You don't feel like being loving, right? You may even wake up one day and say, I don't feel like I love them anymore. 
and uh, after the first service, I had someone come to me and said that I, I preached this to them about 40 years ago. And she said, you know, I didn't love my husband. And I didn't know if I'd ever get that feelings back. And one of the things that I had read, some research, that they showed that people who felt like they were out of love, a psychiatrist had said to them, listen, if, so you, you don't love your husband? No. You want a divorce? Yes, I want a divorce. Or here's what I want you to do. For the next, next couple of weeks, I want you to do everything that you would do to show him that you love him. So that, at, and then at the end of two weeks, we're just going to drop a bomb on him. You want a divorce, and they'll really hurt him. You want to do that? Yeah, let's do that. So the, for those two weeks, she said, cook him his favorite food. Be as nice to him as you possibly can. Do those married things that married people do. Because we have kids in the room. Whatever that is. At the end of two weeks, I said, come back in and we'll strategize how you're going to divorce him. And the women would come back and say, I don't want to divorce him. What happened? Doing the things of love, I fell in love again. Feelings follow actions. If we wait for our actions to follow our feelings, we'll never feel it. Feelings follow actions. That's why we stand before God and say, God, I'm making a promise. I'm going to do the things that I should do even when I don't feel it because I know that I'll eventually feel it. Think about this. You have a baby. They're very rude. They wake you up in the middle of the night. They, they, don't, care about whether, they don't care about if you're sleeping or not. They don't care about your feelings at all. And you just pour everything into them because you love them. You get up at two, you rock them. You try to convince the husband. He thinks, oh, he's dead. Uh, <laughs> he won't wake up. You go and feed the baby. You know, you're in the middle of the night. You go without sleep. What happens? You love that child more and more and more. They just take and take and take. And you just give and give and give. And you love them more and more. And even when your kids get older, the kid you're going to pour the most love into is the one who's giving you the most problems. You understand, right? And so when your kids start giving you problems, you don't think, oh, I hate that one. No. Well, you might a little bit. But there's something beyond that. You love them. And that's the way marriage works. It's the exact same thing. Feelings follow actions. And you can have as good a marriage as you want to have. You can have a fantastic marriage. Every couple in this place can have a marriage that is a model that everyone looks at and says, what is, what's the deal? You guys have a fantastic marriage. And it doesn't mean you're not ever going to have problems. It doesn't mean you're not going to have dark days. But it means there's something that's underlying that. And it's the covenant promise that you've made to God and to each other that's going to carry you and make you have a testimony, a witness that will bring glory to God.
you can have that kind of marriage if you want to. And Jesus just shows us how. You know, on the night that he was betrayed, on the night that he died, that he was, was arrested to be taken to, to be killed, he, he took and washed all the disciples' feet. And he said, this, hey guys, this is one last lesson. I want you to get this. This is so important. It's what you've, you've seen the way that I serve you. Serve one another. And when you get a couple that are trying to outserve one another, they have a tremendous marriage. It's just incredible. And you can have that. You can have that in Christ. You can have that in the new covenant relationship. Amen. Well, let's stand. We've got to quit. I promise that our marriage will not be about me, but it will be about we. Lord, I pray today, right now, that we would understand this whole concept of covenant love, that it's not based on feelings, it's based on commitment and the commitments that we've made to you. And not just doing this duty, this, this grudge, this, this drudgery, this grind, but Lord, in this commitment we've made before you, we enact by faith this covenant so that the promises of God and the purposes of God and the will of God is fulfilled through us when we decide we're going to lay down our lives and serve one another the way you showed us. You showed us. You said, as, I, as I've done to you, do to one another. Lord, help us to have marriages that are different in a world that doesn't understand it. It has become a contract. Lord, help us to build covenant relationships that glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Father's Day. I love you. This has been the Life Community Church Podcast. Thank you for listening.